Hello and welcome to the RadioTimes.com Doctor Who podcast. My name's Hugh Fullerton, and as I may have mentioned before, I'm the sci-fi and fantasy editor of RadioTimes.com. And I'm Helen Daly. I'm the assistant editor of RadioTimes.com. Your ears do not deceive you. Uh, Morgan Jeffrey, my faithful companion, I like to think, uh, part of my TARDIS team, uh, is unavailable this week. So Helen has very kindly stepped in, or Morgan's regenerated into Helen, depending on how you look at it. And she's come just in time because this is a very special edition. It's a very spooky episode of the RadioTimes.com Doctor Who podcast. Doctor Who, you know, more like. Um, because we're getting up to Halloween. Um, and if there's one thing Doctor Who's known for, it's been a bit scary, you know, compared to other TV shows. And so we had to think about a few things we could do to mark the occasion. And what we've actually done is we've been running a vote on RadioTimes.com for what is the scariest monster of all time. You know, what's got you hiding behind the sofa? And today we can reveal the results, uh, which is very exciting. So we uh, put it to fans. Uh, we had a short list of about 20 monsters from across Doctor Who history, some older ones like the worm and um, some newer ones like the Drakes. And yeah, we basically got people to vote and we've got our top 10 and we'll reveal the winner during this podcast. Uh, so Helen, do you want to kick us off with number 10? Yeah, so a surprising entry slipping into the top 10 from The Impossible Planet. It's The Beast who got 2% of the vote. Yes, so basically Satan. Satan doesn't even crack the top five in Doctor Who, which uh, gives you a... No, you give him that. <laughs> top 10, yeah, you give him that, you give him that. Yeah, so this episode was obviously the two-parter uh, Impossible Planet Satan pit when the Doctor, David Tennant's Doctor, kind of tackles the devil on a sort of alien moon that's orbiting a black hole which turned out to be a prison i mean i remember watching this episode so clearly because um it was kind of in late spring i think and i remember i was around my friend's house at a barbecue bizarrely so i don't have that many scary associations with it because i was watching it you know it was quite sunny outside and you know we were just in there eating burgers watching it but i do think that you know clearly it's interesting that it's scored as high as it has i mean it's beaten out quite a lot of more recent monsters and you know some more classic monsters i mean I guess it's quite a spooky episode and it is, you know, the devil. Do you reckon that's why it kind of attracted the attention it did? Yeah, but potentially. I mean, I remember it fondly as, you know, being quite a decent episode, quite fun. Um, there was a lot of kind of action in it. So I wonder if that element has kind of pushed it up a little bit. Obviously, you know, it was a quite a scary monster. I remember it more for its questionable CGI at the time. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it's Satan, it's the devil, it's always going to be quite scary, especially for some people. So I think, you know, top 10, I think it's it's a bit surprising, but it's it's okay. So that's a possible episode. If you're doing a Doctor Who Halloween watch this weekend, a possible one, the, a possible one is the Impossible Planet slash Satan Pit, where you'll see the beast, where possibly the scariest thing will be, as Helen says, the VFX quality, but maybe not, you know, maybe the episode itself. I mean, other things in that episode, I, we also had in our shortlist, um, possessed Ood, which didn't make it into the top 10, which I always found quite scary, you know, with the red eyes and everything and the, you know, the voice. So maybe that split the boat a little. Maybe we should have combined those together. I don't know. Um, so that's The Beast at number 10. Uh, we're going to keep moving through these fairly quickly so that we don't hold you all here too long. Because um, number nine and number eight, I'm actually controversially going to group together. Dun, dun, dun because they're quite similar. So at number nine in our shortlist of the scariest Doctor Who monsters are the Mondasian Cybermen. So specifically the kind of early versions that were in the 1960s and then returned in the 2017 series. And at number eight, just ahead of them, like a tiny, tiny difference in the votes were just the regular old Cybermen. Now, I don't know about you, Helen, but I was quite surprised to see the Cybermen as low down as this. Yeah, huge. 
which for me, I think that I would, I would say, I'm going to say it now before we get to it later. I think they're scarier than the Daleks. I think the Cybermen have something really, really creepy about them. They have no emotions. They're just an army. They're an army of steel. And I think for them to score so low, so low, especially when they're such a classic Doctor Who monster, I think is surprising. Um, I wonder if, you know, splitting them up into the two different species, as it were, has maybe split the vote. Um, but, you know, 10% for the Cybermen as a, a race as a whole is not bad. You know, we put them a little bit higher up the list. I think, you know, I think eight and nine is still respectable, top 10. But I will always, always remember the Age of Steel, especially as being a fantastic episode for Cybermen. And it really terrified me when I was younger. So I think that will definitely, you know, remain in people's minds. Definitely. I mean... I, I'm looking at it now, so I, I wasn't mentioning the percentages, but um, the the beast got two percent, and these both got five percent. Um, the, the regular old Cybermen got slightly slightly more votes to put them ahead. It is interesting because yeah, you're right. If we put those two percentages together, they'd be in third, um, without spoiling what comes further up. So that is quite interesting. The reason that we did split them up is because personally, this is kind of maybe my fault. I found the Mondasian Cybermen a lot scarier in that episode um, with you know, the pain, 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 all that stuff. They were so creepy. Like, I thought that was so horrible that I kind of was like, there's a kind of, the thing with the Cybermen that gets me is there's a real body horror element to them, a little like the Borg in Star Trek, where the scary bits of the Age of Steel for me are like when you realise there's a real person in there or when you kind of see the, you know, people going into the conversion chambers and stuff like that. And I felt like it becoming so surgical with the Mondasian Cybermen, at least in the recent appearances, made them sort of creepier like it's not just like oh here's a big robot it's oh there's a person in here kind of pickled and like you know chopped up and kind of like in constant agony and i was like oh it's just so horrible um and similarly yeah, me, you know when, sorry sorry for me that's when they get scarier when you see that little bit of humanity like with the daleks there's no humanity there there's nothing but with the cybermen you might see a little oil tear here and there you might you know, you see them going into the conversion chambers and you can just picture their heads being cut off, essentially. It's, it's terrifying, right? And it's the kind of spooky robot story that we've had for a long time that's always going to be terrifying, the, that robots are going to take over. And you genuinely think sometimes that the Sadmen will take over. And I think, um, yeah, when you see that humanity aspect of it, that's when they become actually really terrifying. And I think, I think honestly, they deserve to be a little bit higher up, personally, but like you say, you know, maybe it was, maybe it was splitting them, um, split the vault, but both equally scary in their own right. And I think um, a fantastic Doctor Who monster. I mean, what did you think of in the most recent series? Obviously they came back. We had a Shad, uh, the lone Cyberman, who was kind of, a, had a little bit of that vibe because he was a bit human. He knew a bit, he recited a bit of poetry, which I quite liked, you know, and he, you could see bits of him. I mean, that was quite a scary episode, the haunting of Villa Diodati, uh, or Via Diodati, if that's how you're pronouncing it. I mean, how, how do you, what do you think of him? And you know, was, was he a scary Cyberman? I think when the Cybermen are backed into a corner, that's when they become most dangerous because they're mm. just going to start lashing out. They're incredibly powerful, right? They've got some serious tech on them. So when you back one into a corner, that's when he's going to start lashing out and start being quite dangerous. So I think, yeah, I think it wasn't the kind of most prominent story that's going to live in people's minds, which, you know, could also have an effect on the scores that we're seeing today. But, um, you know, a respectable story where you see a different side to the Cybermen because you also run the risk of how do you make the Cybermen different? How do you make the Daleks different? Mm. 
and by doing something like Via Diodati, that's exactly how you do it. Perfect. All right, moving through the list, we've got number seven. I think now we're moving into the creepier monsters at this stage, because uh, number seven, we have the silence. Uh, so obviously they were the kind of big baddies of the Stephen Moffat era, kind of. They sort of were very sort of subtly teased in the first series, and they just sort of turn up after that. <laughs> like, yeah, it was us who blew up the TARDIS, remember us? Or probably not. Um, the thing with the silence is they obviously had kind of a unique gimmick, which was the whole you can't see them if you're not looking at them thing, which is quite scary, like the idea of like you, the way that you're seeing this sort of horrible creature and you look away and it's still there, it's still watching you but you don't know it's there, you've completely forgotten. It's quite scary. But I think what made them creepy for me was just the design. Like they just had those horrible faces, the kind of big, they were a little bit based on kind of uh, popular perceptions of aliens. They had the kind of men in black suits on, at least the first times we saw them. Again, they were tying into the kind of Roswell vibe that they were going for at the beginning of the series they first appeared in. But yeah, they were just so horrible looking and the way they sort of screamed, they were a bit of an Edvard Munch kind of thing as well, weren't they? I mean. You said, Helen, uh, you know, just to kind of go behind the curtain a bit, that this was actually the monster that you voted for as the scariest. I feel like you must have some strong opinions here. Yeah, I, I will out myself as a silence fan, um, <laughs> <laughs> kind of. Yeah, um, I think the, the embodiment of Stephen Moffat's kind of creations, he always, as we will touch upon, I'm sure, later on, he always kind of hits the nail on the head when it's monsters that you can't see, but they're right in front of you. And I think that's what's always scary, whether it's dust, whether it's statues, or whether it's something that is behind you that you forget about as soon as you turn around. That is what's inherently scary because that's the thing that's going to make you look over your shoulder at night. And um, I think the silence were just, they were smart. They looked great. They had those suits on, which I thought were really chic. Um, and I think they, um, they just turned out to be a fantastic monster that, genuinely gave the Doctor a bit of a test, which sometimes we don't always see with the monsters. Definitely. I remember there was that episode, I think it's it's not the Lodger, I can't remember which one it is, I think it's one of the astronaut ones, where you see them all like on the ceiling and there's just this sea of like these little bobbing bald heads kind of turning around and it's just, ooh, there's a real kind of grossness to them, which I think a lot of Doctor Who monsters are kind of quite, kind of boxy or costumey sometimes, I think. And I think now these days that they have such good prosthetics and stuff, I think that there's a kind of extra level of kind of creepiness that you can get to. Um, speaking of that kind of uh, makeup and things though, the next monster is an interesting one. Um, number six, beating the silence, we have the flood. So this was a one-off monster that we met in the waters of Mars, which is I think the closest Doctor Who's come to a kind of Halloween episode because it was a special on around that time. And I mean, I think we were both a little surprised to see the flood as high as they were. Cause I remember when I saw this episode, I was a bit underwhelmed by the flood. I didn't find the flood of the kind of, water zombies essentially. I'm not sure if they were ever officially, <laughs> I think they vaguely called themselves a flood at one point, but it's one of those things where after the fact they decide what they're called. They're called the flood. But yeah, at the time I was a little underwhelmed. I don't know, what about you? Well, I mean, the name is fantastic. <laughs> flood. It's very dramatic, very Doctor Who. I think, um, I think when I saw this list and started casting my mind back to when I watched The Waters of Mars, I remember it being quite creepy. I remember it being, you know, a fun episode. There was a lot of drama and, um, I think their prosthetics probably did it on this one. You know, they had the weird cracked mouth. They had water coming out of every orifice and just from the top of their head, like it was really cool actually. It was really, really cool prosthetics. So I think perhaps it was the look a little bit more than the actual threat because 
you know, David Tennant's doctor just blew them all up and it was fine. Um, obviously prompting a, a different story arc there for him. But um, yeah, I think it's a, it's definitely the roguish choice I would say in the list, but I think I can, I can understand it because I think they do look really cool. And I think if we're looking at the rest of the list, like the silence, they've still got that really, really creepy and horrible nightmarish look about them, just like the flood. I think the thing I had with them was, I at the time there was a real sense of like this is Russell T Davis obviously wrote this episode and at the time everyone was saying Stephen Moffat writes the scariest episodes oh yeah the scary ones always Stephen Moffat and I remember the Radio Times magazine um, wrote this whole piece basically asking him about that and him saying oh I'm going to do a scary episode for you and um, it felt a little like I felt like it didn't quite it was very much trying to kind of create these new kind of scary monsters and didn't quite land it weirdly the thing that always comes back to is I remember watching Doctor Who Confidential or something like that and they explained about how the monsters run. So in the episode, they do a lot of running and they run kind of like, I'm miming, so you guys can't see this listening, but they kind of do this kind of, I don't know, like Olympian run with the hands, you know, going up before, or a bit like, you know, the $6 million man or whatever it is. And I kind of thought it looked a bit daft. And they definitely, they wanted it to be, they didn't want them to be slow because that's kind of been done with zombies and stuff like that. And they didn't want them to be too wild. But the thing that would have been scarier for me, I think, is if they'd been a little bit more ungainly, you know, a little bit, a little bit sort of, well, wilder, I suppose, kind of more like the, um, the scarecrows from Family of Blood or something. The way that they move is so unusual. And the fact that they just sort of ran like, you know, little sprinters, I just thought it looked a bit daft. I thought they were scarier kind of close by. And when they were kind of, I mean, the faces of them, the sort of big grins they've got were very, very horrible. Um, and then when you actually just see them sort of going for a jog, it's not quite the same sense of menace. Yeah, and the premise was that the water was going to get you right. So I think just having the shots of the water kind of dripping along very slowly, getting to the, the team, I think that was actually a lot creepier than the kind of autumn weird water zombies, as you say. So I think, yeah, they didn't need them necessarily but at least they did look good. Um, but yeah, I thought the menace of that episode was actually just the water, which you can see, you know, why kind of Russell T. Davis went on that. The kind of, as we talked about, the, the normal thing in your household that's going to get you. Um, like, yeah, I think they looked okay. They looked okay for me. Um, it's funny you mentioned that kind of unfeeling, unhuman, creeping force, because number five on the list kind of very much fills that as well, which is the Vashta Narada, which is basically the hungry shadows is probably the best way of describing them. And they turn up in uh, Silence in the Library slash Forest of the Dead, trying to remember the titles there, uh, which was obviously the big River Song episode, the first time River Song turned up, which is kind of what those episodes are remembered for. But it's really interesting that Vashta Narada, they've not been on, you know, for 12 years or whatever, and they were in this one double episode, and still they're kind of, you know, people remember them and are quite scared of them. I mean, there's this great, obviously the premise of them is that they are kind of creatures that live in the shadows and they eat flesh. So you throw a chicken bone in there, they just rip it, rip it raw. And then in the episode, they kind of end up taking a more physical form, which is handy for A, budget and B, kind of menace when they eat a guy and then he's just this skull in a spacesuit, which I think that's the image we used in the poll. I think that's become quite an iconic Doctor Who image, this skull kind of, slightly leaning forward in, in the spacesuit. I mean, everyone's afraid of the dark, right? And that's the premise of the episode. That felt like, that feels like the kind of pinnacle of Doctor Who, that thing you think is a bit creepy. There's actually a reason why. You know, being afraid of the dark is classic. And then basically the Doctor saying, there's a reason that people were afraid of the dark. Works really well. 
I mean, what do you think about the Vashti Narada? I love the scenes where they're running along and then like the, the lights are kind of going out and the shadows are just kind of lengthening towards them. I remember very, very vividly when this episode, when Silence in the Library first came on, I went over and turned the light on. So I think for me, you know, that's a scary monster. Like you say, you know, everyone's got that little fear of the dark. And I think I remember it looking amazing, the fact that these shadows would grow. And um, it was just a really, really clever idea that, you know, didn't have to be necessarily high budget. It was really smart. And yes, obviously the episode is more remembered for River Song. Yes, she is my favorite pilot of all time. Um, but um, I think it was a really smart idea to have a monster that literally, quite literally lived in the background so you could see River and the Doctor interact for the first time. So I think a really, really smart move and I'm really glad to see them um, coming in at fifth place, definitely. Definitely. Um, just ahead of them, uh, so Vashnarada were on 6% of the vote, just ahead of them on 7% of the vote, is another Stephen Moffat creation, perhaps we shouldn't be surprised. What I've got here is the gas mask zombies, um, but possibly better known as the empty child. Like, mummy. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> Are you my mummy? God. I remember I watched that um, on my own on some evening. I think because I was watching it, they used to do repeats on BBC Three the day after. I think I missed it on Saturday. And um, so I watched it like the day after it came out. And I was watching it alone in the evening and it was genuinely really scary. I mean, the thing with Doctor Who is sometimes it's scary. But you kind of appreciate it kind of almost... I don't know, empirically, like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's, I see that scare, that's a bit creepy, ooh, a bit of a shudder. This one, I was genuinely quite creeped out by this little wandering child with the gas mask and the sing-song voice. And I think it is one of the episodes that people throw back to. And it's funny because it's so early in the run of, you know, new Doctor Who that that turns up, but it's become such an iconic thing in the show. I mean, you seemed a bit spooked out by me doing it there. Is that a scary episode for you? Yeah, no, 100%. I think there's so many levels to it because obviously, one, there's a little boy who's walking around by himself. That's inherently scary. Two, he's got a gas mask on. Three, he's got a bit of a weird, creepy voice. I think the bit for me was when you saw the mask kind of melting onto the skin mm. and it was horrible. And you saw, um, who was the guy who played it? You saw... Um, Victor Meldrew. <laughs> Victor Meldrew, yeah, that's all I could think of. I was like, who's the actor? when you saw him kind of transform and the, the kind of mask come out of his mouth and wrap around his face, you know, it was awful. It was really visceral and actually probably one of the more, I, I don't want to say violent, but one of the more gruesome um, Doctor Who episodes that there's been. And, and like you say, it came really early on and kind of set a precedent, especially for Stephen Moffat and his kind of creation. So yeah, I think it uh, definitely a fantastic monster and um weirdly apt in 2020 to have uh, that's true mask. the masks i mean a lot of doctor who wants to have masks but not but not canonically uh so yep. that's one of the canonical mask wearing ones that is that uh, richard wilson incidentally uh was the actor we were searching for um who i actually met so i probably should know his name <laughs> um, but yeah no that the thing where his mouth sort of opens and his eyes get all glassy i mean the thing that's also nice about that episode weirdly is the next episode the doctor dances i don't find scary at all because that one's all about them kind of fixing it. And then everything, everybody lives famously, it's all fixed. And, you know, I think that's what maybe makes that a great Doctor Who story is that it's really scary, but it has that kind of life affirming, but it will all be okay moment, you know, like it, the Doctor fixes it, everything's okay again. I, I think that's kind of what makes it great. Although there's a bit of me that, I remember being at the time surprised by how unscary I found the next one, considering how creepy 
I thought the empty child was. You know, I did think that that one could have won the whole thing. I mean, it, it really didn't, but I did, you know, wonder whether it would. Um, instead, there's actually three ahead of it. Um, so the next one at number three, which uh, like Gas Mask Zombies, got 7% of the vote, but got slightly more votes, uh, is what I've got here is the Midnight Creature. I, I think people have also called it the Midnight Entity. The thing is, it doesn't really have a name. Uh, so this is a Russell T Davis creation. This was the unseen force, uh, which was haunting the characters in Midnight, which is an episode from 2008. So this is one of the, uh, this wasn't a Dr. Light episode, which was a thing where the, for filming this, I was filmed two episodes back to back. This was a companion light episode. So Catherine Tate as Donna is barely in it. It's basically the Doctor on a bus. Uh, there were a couple of episodes of the Doctor on a bus, actually, for budgetary reasons. But no, um, it's basically David Tennant kind of locked in this space bus with people. And it goes a bit, well, not quite Murder on the Orient Express, but, you know, it goes a bit uh, maybe more like a live. People start turning on each other. You know, there's a mystery. You know, what's this creature? And why is it infecting people? And it's one of the most effective monsters, I think, because you never see it. It's not quite like the Vastra Narada where it's off in the shadows and you see the shadows, like you never see anything. It's just you hear a knocking, the lights go out, and then one person there seems to have been taken over by it. I mean, what do you think of Midnight? And do you think that, you know, this creature, which we never even see for all of Doctor Who's great creature design, um, do, you, do you think it deserves its, its place so high in our ranking? It's like what I said before, you know, when you have a monster in Doctor Who that isn't necessarily there or is kind of playing on your fears um, that, you know, aren't the dark or aren't, you know, whatever. They're statues, they're the ability of you being able to speak properly. I think Midnight worked really well. I instantly was surprised when I saw Midnight scoring so highly coming in at third. But then when I cast my mind back to the episode and I remembered very vividly that moment that um, David Tennant was kind of talking to the person who had the midnight creature within her and all of a sudden it flipped and you could see when the monster jumped over to him and it was very subtle and I thought actually you know it was more a kind of acting test than anything else it was a fantastic showcase of David Tennant's abilities um, but a scary monster because like you say you've got the banging outside you don't know what it is all of a sudden there's people acting a bit weirdly they've been taken over they've been possessed it's kind of a ghost story right Definitely. And I think it will always be scary because you still, to this day, don't know what it is. It doesn't even have a name. We can't explain it. It's a thing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we should also say um, Leslie Sharp, who played Sky Silvestri, who's the kind of host of the creature, matches David Tennant line for line pretty much, you know, literally. I mean, they're there saying the exact same thing the exact same time. And I think, you know, I watched some videos of how they did that and it was just loads of practice, essentially. But no, you're certainly right. I think that what makes that monster scary is that we never really know what it is. We never even you know, know exactly what it wanted or what it was doing. The other argument as well, though, is that the monsters in Midnight are the passengers because, you know, that's the whole thing is the breakdown where essentially they kind of elect to kill the doctor or they elect to kill someone else and they, they get so afraid and they all turn on each other. And, you know, which obviously that cast includes uh, the son of a doctor, uh, one of Patrick Triton's sons uh, is in the episode. Um, and also a future wizard, because uh, Colin Morgan, who was to become Merlin, uh, was in the episode as Jethro. So, yeah, I think that the fact that, you know, that must have been such an acting challenge, probably more so than a lot of Doctor Who episodes, it's very confined, it's more like a play, a bit of a bottle episode. I think that all the cast do really well, considering that they're not actually reacting to a real monster. I mean, I guess arguably in Doctor Who they never are. But, yeah, I think I can definitely see why it did as well as it did. I'm pleasantly surprised, actually, that it's as high as it is, because, you know, things like 
the gas mask zombies or the bastion Narado or whatever you know i i remember these i'm like oh yeah that's a scary doctor episode people remember that da, da, da. the fact that the creature from midnight still scares people now only appears in one episode you know is kind of very low-key i think that's you know i think that's really cool and i think that's kind of the best kind of doctor who monster you know the ones where it's subtle um i mean the next monster number two on our list can't be accused of subtlety though <laughs> um so this possibly won't surprise anybody but 13 percent, so a bit of a jump at number two we have the daleks yes so the doctor's greatest foe only made it to number two of the scariest doctor who monsters crazy times um obviously the doctor uh, i think the daleks are the oldest monsters on this list we did have some classic monsters apart from them uh, and uh the side mondasian cybermen on the list but um you know i guess absence makes things less scary um, the Daleks have been around pretty consistently throughout Doctor Who. And I was quite, you know, I thought they'd do quite well. But, I, you know, they're the original, let's hide behind the sofa from the Daleks. People have been scared of them for decades. But also, you know, it's easy to think other Daleks are going to be a bit of a joke to people now. They're so familiar. You know, they're like the Aston Martin or something. They're a design. They're, a, you know, a British kind of icon. You've seen the jokes, can they get upstairs? We know they can fly now. You know, they're in Doctor Who so often. There's an episode where they're just sort of pushed around by people because their wheels aren't working. You know, um, the fact that they still do so well on this list, I think there's a bit of a cultural memory of the Daleks are scary. But also, you know, I think the show does keep finding new ways to make them scary. I mean, what do you think, Helen? Are the Daleks scary? Yeah, I think if you say Doctor Who monster, you say Dalek. It's probably the ultimate kind of quiz question. You won't be scoring your points on Pointless for it. Um, I think... You know, I think with the Daleks, there is definitely a cultural memory. If I spoke to my parents now and asked them what they were most scared of when they were younger watching TV, they'd say the Daleks. And I think, you know, quite right. I think like we said with Midnight, you know, it was subtle. It was, you know, nuanced. It was quite scary. The Daleks are scary because of scale. They never, ever have kind of half-hearted uh, Dalek episodes. It's always, here's an army, now beat this army. Yeah. And I think, you know, maybe they are starting to lose their kind of impact now, they're second, they're not number one. Um, maybe that's because we know that the Doctor's always gonna beat the Daleks. Is there a time that the Doctor hasn't beaten the Daleks? It's always gonna happen. So I think, you know, maybe they've been overused a little bit, they need to be parked up, um, arguably like the Cybermen. But I think, um, you know, they're iconic and it would be a shame if they weren't on the list. So I think second place is, is fantastic for them and I think, um, they will forever be known as the Doctor Who monster. Definitely. I mean, the thing you say there about the familiarity is definitely a point, which is why I was so surprised the Cybermen were further, was far down as they were, because I felt like people would be like, oh yeah, scary monsters. Oh yeah, I'm scared of the Cybermen, I'm scared of the Daleks or whatever. The fact that so many other ones went ahead of the Cybermen is interesting, but also the fact that the Daleks did still keep that point, that high position, despite the familiarity of them. I mean, I was thinking about episodes of Daleks where I've been you know, scared by them. Obviously, there's lots of early appearances when they're quite creepy and stuff. And I was thinking of Dalek in 2005 more recently, um, where they kind of just emphasize the power of a single Dalek, which is a really, really, you know, great way of doing it. And then even more recently, you know, thinking of things like, I guess I was thinking a little bit of resolution where they have, obviously they're the kind of tin pot Dalek, but actually I quite liked the Dalek mutants, you know, the squid thing essentially being such a big part of that episode and kind of taking over Charlotte Ritchie's body and, that kind of, again, that body horror element, which we don't get very often with Daleks. Um, I felt like that was quite effective for making them quite creepy. Um, obviously, there's one time when we don't know whether the Doctor will be the Daleks or not, which is the upcoming festive special. Um, 
I have a suspicion <laughs> that she might. <laughs> I think she might uh, overcome the Daleks just at this one time at Christmas. Yeah, but no, I mean, you know, it's nice that, you know, people can still get scared by something that's been around for such a long time. I mean, like I say, people are still hiding behind their sofas from the Daleks. And, you know, I think that's kind of great. That's quintessential Doctor Who. Um, but we should probably look at the monsters that have defeated the Daleks. Uh, no, I don't mean the mechanoids, ha ha ha, for uh, regular listeners. A little mechanoid joke for you. Uh, no, there's actually a monster where, which came first, where hiding behind the sofa is probably the worst thing you could do because you wouldn't be looking at them. That is, of course, the Weeping Angels. So yeah, the Weeping Angels won the poll. I mean, it's not very surprising. <laughs> <laughs> when you think of the other monsters in the list, I mean, you never know, anything could have beaten them, but the Weeping Angels are probably the thing where, if you ask for a scary Doctor Who monster, that's immediately where people's mind goes to. Like, empirically, I've used empirically wrong twice, I think, but probably the Daleks are sometimes scary, sometimes not. Same with other ones. Sometimes they're one-offs. The Weeping Angels are always intended to be scary. That's their thing. They're creepy. They're threatening. We actually, um, when we talked about this in a meeting, our colleague Michael said, I don't watch Doctor Who, and I'm scared of the Weeping Angels. And I think that's kind of the thing with them. Um, so obviously they first turned up in Blink uh, in 2007. Uh, which was a Stephen Moffat episode, probably uh, that's actually previously won. We've run a few what's the best episode ever polls and Blink has won those a few times. Also won the scariest episode a few years ago. So, you know, kind of ties in. And yeah, the Weeping Angels, obviously they're quantum locked. So they're statues while you're looking at them, but you look away and then they move. I mean, I personally don't think they've ever been better than in the very first episode they were in. Because um, Blink is so scary. I mean, what do you think? Um, yeah, we were talking before the podcast and um, I revealed that I've only ever been able to watch Blink once <laughs> and that was a, a very scary one. So I was genuinely hiding behind my eyes. Um, I think, you know, the thing with Blink is that with with every other, sorry, with the Weeping Angels, with every other monster on that list, to an extent, you kind of know how to, how you would approach it. You know how you would kind of tackle it. You know, if, you, if it was a Cyberman, you'd go for the neural inhibitor. You know, if it was... I don't know, um, the Vashtar Narada, you'd turn the light on. So I think, you know, there's, there's ways that you can picture yourself kind of overcoming them. The Weeping Angels, not a clue. They're completely surrounding you. Literally, if you blink, they'll get you. And I think that's a really terrifying concept. And I think Stephen Moffat really nailed something with them. And it, um, I remember actually going out after blink and uh, the next day, and just noticing how many statues were around. Well, they have, that, they have that evil bit at the end of the episode where they just show loads of statues and say like, oh yeah, these are probably Weeping Angels. And the thing is, they're all in Cardiff because Doctor Who films in Cardiff. And I lived in Cardiff at the time. So I knew that I walked by those statues all the time, often at night. I was like, you, I can't swear, but how, how could you do that? I mean, like I just walk along Queen Street being like, oh, oh God, there's that creepy little child. All right. There's the minor. I mean, I don't think the, the minor would, would hurt me. But um, but yeah, no, it's it's definitely one of those. It's one of those fears I didn't even know I had <laughs> until I watched Doctor Who. I mean, the Weeping Angels obviously came back uh, in 2010 for um, uh, Time, was it Time of Angels, Flesh and, Flesh and Stone, um, when they're sort of a huge threat. And you see the move, which I think kind of ruined it a little, seeing the angels move. You know, they also really built up the law, L-O-R-E law, of the angels in this episode where you kind of, you know, the image of an angel becomes an angel, all that stuff. And I kind of like that, but I kind of like the simplicity in Blink. That said, there's that bit at the end of the first part of that two-part story where they realise that they're in like the, 
labyrinth of statues and every statue which are all very half formed are actually angels just like without the wings and stuff and they start turning around and looking at them you know when they turn the lights off that's brilliant that's really cool and creepy and then when they brought them back for the time uh no the angels take manhattan uh bizarre episode title um there are some bits in that episode i don't like i don't like the giant statue of liberty (laughs) i think that's incredibly stupid how did nobody see that when it crossed new york but whatever um how was no one looking at that but the thing I thought was quite interesting about them as well is they don't kill you, they just zap you back in time and you just live out the rest of your days and then they feed off the energy you leave behind. In their subsequent appearance um, with Matt Smith's Dr. Alex Kingston, they started just killing people, which I thought was a bit boring. You know, they just snapped people's necks because they had a bigger prize. In this one, Stephen Moffat managed to turn the zapping people back in time thing into something really horrible. You know, it's where they're being zapped back in time over and over again but just stuck in this like one room. Essentially, they just have to live, people have to live in this room for all eternity, aging as time just continues and runs over and over again. And I thought that was horrible. It was like battery farming, essentially. And there was just something really nasty about that. And I kind of liked that, you know? I kind of thought that's a good way of looking at the angels. I mean, what about you? I mean, they've sort of cameoed a few times as well and other things, but I don't know. What, what, what do you think about the, I guess what I'm talking about is the additions to the angels, the extra rules and stuff. I think there's so much possibility with them that means mm. they actually have a really long shelf life. I, you know, you mentioned um, uh, the time of angels, flesh and stone. I think there was a fantastic moment in that when Amy Pond couldn't see. Mm. Now, if you can't see, how are you going to kind of not draw the attention of the angels? Well, you have to walk like an angel, you have yeah. to be an angel. And I thought, you know, but all the way through that sequence, I was just covering my eyes, just like, is she going to get through? It's real jeopardy. Then again, you know, in The Angels Take Manhattan, you think Rory and Amy are completely safe. And then all of a sudden, there's another one. Like, you know, they could be anywhere. And I think there's a real jeopardy there that isn't necessarily there with the Daleks. You kind of know that once they've all gone, yeah. they're all gone now, and then they'll all come back again at some point because there was some loop um, in the system. But I think with, with the Weeping Angels, have you ever really defeated them? Probably not. You've sort of, they've sort of avoided them or gotten rid of them occasionally. But yeah, I think there's also something creepy about just their blank eyes. And they're so, they're so, though they are human shit, they, they feel so unhuman in a way. Like the Daleks, as much as they are obviously aliens, their goals are very traditional, you know, destroy other life. You know, we want to rule the galaxy kind of stuff. Similar with the Cybermen. Like sometimes it's a kind of racial purity thing. But, you know, there's parallels with that in human endeavours, I suppose. But with the weeping angels what they want to do is so specific they just they're just coming for you that's all they want all they want is to get you essentially for whatever reason and that's really horrible i mean i i talked to you about this before but i played the doctor who vr game uh, edge of time and the kind of big moment in that is you're in these corridors and there's these two corridors and there are angels coming down them and basically the lights keep flickering and if you look away they can they run up and get you and they do the noise they're like bah you know, it's really interesting because I had to review that and I've struggled because it was very well done, but it was really unpleasant. <laughs> like just, just sort of standing that because they made me stand as well because apparently that was more immersive. And I basically, you have to try and fix this like lift, which is broken while the angels are like slowly coming for you. And I eventually kind of worked out that was a pattern to it and you could kind of, but they would occasionally, you'd be watching one and then there'd be a noise over here and you'd turn, it'd just be like a pram moving. And then you'd look back and that one would move forward. Like, oh, yeah. Oh, there's a bit where one comes out of a painting and tries to grab you and it's just, 
Oh God, I'm actually slightly freaking myself out just remembering it. It's getting dark now, you know, it's, you know, there's, I haven't got any statues in here. I do actually have a weeping angel though. I've got a little weeping angel um, wind up toy that someone got me, which is, I, you know, I'm not making this up. It's normally over there, but it's actually not. So that's, <laughs> that's a bit disturbing. You give an angel becomes an angel. You have uh, one. That's true. I sh I'll, I'm sure I'll find it later. Anyway, um, yeah, now I think that there's something really great about them. It's interesting we mentioned that, you know, you say they've got a lot of potential because the last time we saw them, they were in the Doctor Who spin-off class, uh, which was um, obviously didn't go past the first series. And at the end of that series, the big twist was, oh my God, uh, the angels are actually the bad guys of this series, the weeping angels. So we've got this cool time Doctor Who. Um, and then obviously class was cancelled, so we never got to see that. And actually that's the last on-screen appearance of the weeping angels um, because... That was in, at the end of 2016. Doctor Who wasn't on that year. They weren't in the series after that. I mean, I think they briefly popped up in, no, that was before. In 2015, they were in Hellbent, but they, that was obviously before that. So obviously, if they're a Stephen Moffat creation, and maybe, you know, subsequent showrunners like Chris Jimmer wouldn't necessarily want to bring them back because they're so associated with that one showrunner. But, you know, for all the talk of, oh, you know, Chris Chibnall's bring back the Daleks, Chris Chibnall's bring back the Master. They've been in it more recently than the Weeping Angels. You know, the Weeping Angels, actually, I was surprised by how little they have been in the series. There's been a few cameos and things, like in Time of the Doctor, but they've actually really just been in those four episodes as the main monster. And it's crazy what an impact they've had with those short appearances. I mean, would you like to see them again? Would you like to see Jodie Whittaker, maybe in the current team, take on the Weeping Angels? Yeah, definitely. And kind of all future incarnations or any of future incarnations of the Doctor, I think it's fantastic to see how different Doctors react to different monsters. So every different Doctor has a different Dalek experience and that's really exciting. And I think the Weeping Angels are obviously vastly becoming one of those classic Doctor Who monsters that I think it would be a real shame not to see them back on screen again and see, you know, what other writers can do with them. Because obviously I'm sure... Chris Chibnall could bring a completely different side to the Weeping Angels and um, and so on and so on. So I think I, I would like to see them again. I think they're a really clever Doctor Who monster that, you know, will always provide good value. However, I would like some warning so I can just hide uh, before it comes on. So I think, um, no, I think I would like to see them again. I think our poll has proved, you know, immensely. They won by a huge amount. So I think um, they are well-loved and, and well-liked and I think well-feared quite rightly. Definitely I mean yeah I should say I didn't actually say this the score but the Weeping Angels had 35% um, of the votes that's 22% more than number two which was the Daleks so it's an incredibly like large margin. I should also say though Weeping Angels probably the one monster that would be a very bad idea to hide from because you need to be looking at them they can just be moving around looking for you easily at the speed of light you know. What I can't see isn't happening. So that's <laughs> Um, and if you know, if you at home do want to see the Weeping Angels again, there is some good news. Um, there is a Doctor Who online watch along of Blink um, this Halloween on Saturday, the thirty first of October. This is in twenty twenty, so uh, if you're in the future, uh, don't try and find this to avoid disappointment. Um, but yeah, I'm not quite sure what the details are. But it's Emily Cook, who's done these watch alongs before, has organised it. So if you go on her Twitter account, you should find the details. And yeah, I think people are watching along with the episode and tweeting and so on on Saturday evening. So you know, tweet from behind your sofa Helen this could be your chance to watch Blink for the second time see if it's as scary as you remember it's probably worse because I probably built it up in my head as being this absolutely terrifying ordeal that I just won't be able to sit through <laughs> <laughs> well maybe it won't be that scary maybe now you'll be like well, what was I even worried about 
yeah, vote for the silence again. <laughs> <laughs> um, but listen, what do you at home think? Uh, did we get the right top 10? Uh, you know, should a different Doctor Who monster have taken the top spot over the Weeping Angels? And if you are terrified of the Weeping Angels, just like we are, you know, would you like to see them again? And what kind of story would you like to see them in? Um, we've got more details of this poll on radiotimes.com um, and, you know, how the voting broke down and everything. You can see the full list. Uh, and we should have some more spooky Doctor Who content uh, as we get closer to Halloween. Uh, until then, I've been Hugh Fullerton. I've been Helen Daly. And this has been the radiotimes.com Doctor Who podcast. Goodbye. <laughs>